0: Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. What is coming up on the show? Let me tell you. For our inbox, we have a woman who recently had a guy break up with her because he felt like he could never meet her high standards. Well, now he just wants to be friends, and she's curious if that is a wise choice or not. So one of our counselors will weigh in with some advice there. And then for our culture segment, uh, Pastor David Mathis from Desiring God is back with us discussing the topic of humility uh, this took two weeks. You know that last week we <laughs> dealt with part one of this. So um, in part two, we're actually going to hear a Q&A he did with a live audience via the Listen app. So stay tuned for that. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and uh, we are doing a a listen app event, and also we're with you on Facebook Live. So those of you who are listening to this after the fact, you know that folks were in asking their questions of the Boundless team. And so I have got uh, John and Hannah here, members of the team, and myself, who are going to answer here in real time your questions. Some have already come in on social. You can certainly... Uh, those of you who are um, listening as we tape this, you can submit your questions here. And those of you listening after the fact, just email us at some point or find us on social. You can ask us whatever. But um, let's go ahead and get to some of our some of our questions that we have received already. And I'll go ahead and ask uh, one of these that I think is a is a really fun one um, to answer, and that is, um, what is something that is common knowledge that you found out way too late this one kind of stumped me this is like that um i was x number years old or whatever when... it was today years old today years <laughs> old yeah okay i was today years old when i found this out and i know that i've thought this through but i gotta i still gotta get something uh to answer so who has yeah,
1: one mine is pretty embarrassing actually okay um as a kid of the late 90s and early 2000s, I was a Jesse McCartney fan. Okay. And being that Jesse McCartney and Paul McCartney had the same last name, I always thought that Paul McCartney was Jesse McCartney's dad. Okay. Yeah, forever. Until... I thought you were
0: going to say you were embarrassed by the fact that you like Jesse McCartney, but you're not ashamed Definitely of that. not embarrassed. No, no. <laughs> Okay. Not embarrassed by that. <laughs> Maybe we should be. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Yep. Anyway, Hannah, bless her heart. I wonder, like... Maybe Paul McCartney would be like grandpa age to Jesse McCartney. Oh, I think there might be too much of an age gap to be dad and son there, if we're being being honest. All right, John, what would your answer be?
2: This one, I hope I can say this one on the air, because (laughs) um, total honesty here, the phrase don't drink and drive, I thought meant don't get drunk and drive. Oh. Oh. But I literally found out it means you can't (laughs) drink alcohol and drive, so... I did not find that out till I was well into my twenties,
3: Wow,
1: so wow. yeah,
2: did not connect the dots there, so that's
1: funny, funny thing. I have a friend who thought you know, like when you're in driver's school and they tell you like ten and two, put your hands at ten and two, yes, well, he thought that that phrase meant ten fingers and two eyes <laughs> on the road, yeah, so like you can do like wow. five and one, and anyway. I mm. thought that was hilarious.
0: So what, like in the whole drinking and driving thing, did you have, I mean, was that like a thing like in your high school and stuff? Did Were there kids that... Oh,
2: I was homeschooled. Oh, so okay. That, <laughs> that wasn't really an issue in our community, so okay. it just was something we really didn't talk about.
0: Okay, so your so. mom and dad were just like, "John, just don't get drunk yeah. when you drive. You know, drinking <laughs> and driving what... is okay. Open containers, but yeah well, even <laughs> not all, getting drunk.
2: Even all of the PSA commercials that I would see, every time they would have somebody on one of those ads they were always drunk or getting pulled over oh, it's yeah. like yeah um they would just show a guy with alcohol just floating around in his car as a symbol that he didn't or that he didn't moderate how much he was supposed to drink so
0: okay wow th- okay. i
2: never connected the dots until i was
0: well in like my 20s it's easy to misconceive that yeah okay Man, I was like racking my brain about this because I know there's like really dumb stuff out there that I'm not aware of. But one thing that I would say that's kind of like a general, this is our our international listeners are going to appreciate this because I know there are a lot of jokes about Americans and how much we just don't know about like common knowledge things. So geography <laughs> being one of them, like I would say I was a good student. I actually did well in geography throughout school, but I'm always embarrassed by how When I hear from someone or I hear about something going on in the world that's like in some country, like how I don't know where that country is or I don't or I know generally where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, like, for example, the fact that there are so many Asian countries that are like on the equator like, to me, the equator is in oh, Africa, yeah. but actually the equator goes around the whole earth. <laughs> Did y'all know okay. that? The equator goes wow. around the earth and actually touches other countries. Because I always hear about, like, you know, when I was small, it was like the missionaries who were in Africa who were living by the equator. Yeah, yeah. So it's just funny. Like, you don't think, like, oh, yeah, the, the earth is actually round. Um, the equator goes around the whole earth. And there are countries. And the fact that, like, Australia is so, like, far south. You know, Mm -hmm. like that again, you would think, huh. Yeah. And even to
1: like fly there is like something like 24 hours. Maybe that's exaggerating it, but
0: it's crazy. Like when I lived in, in Paraguay, I lived there during college. I was just shocked by how many of my peers, like people who were my age, knew about world events and i'm like um i know what's going on in the u.s maybe you know but what's <laughs> yeah. your country called again and stuff and just it's just embarrassing <laughs> like you know they're all up on u.s events and stuff so it was just kind of a weird a weird phenomenon such yeah. as it was so okay let's go to one of the other um questions here this is actually a relationship question yeah. and hannah i don't know if you'd be willing to take a stab at it this is from michelle michelle says how do I let a guy know I like him when I think another guy might have a crush on me?
1: Yeah, I'd start with if you feel bold enough, um, even just saying, I'd love to hang out sometime. Like, would you love to hang out sometime? Not being super necessarily detailed about it, but I think putting yourself out there in that space and letting him know, like, I'd like to like hang out with you one-on-one, get to know you better, um, is definitely not a bad thing. And even beyond that, little things, I guess, is just being interested in what he's interested in, asking him good questions, um, allowing him to know that you want to know him better. Um, And even, like, inviting him to group things, Mm -hmm. I feel like, is a really good way. But, yeah. I mean, it makes me think of the common phrase of put yourself out there, but... (laughs) Yeah, mm-hmm. I think of that. And, and even with the other guy who might have a crush on you, I, I think it's hard to put all your cards in that basket. And if that pans out, we'll cross that bridge when we get there kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It is hard to think of, you know, relationships are ho- so hard to think of without thinking of them finitely. Like, yeah. you know, this is the only opportunity we have. This is limited time, limited space. and But again, it's like... I mean, I know so many, you know, my mentor types, like older folks who were just like, I dated, you know, this number of guys before I really met my husband, or I was even engaged, and it didn't work out. And I was heartbroken. And I thought that was the only person for me. And then God introduces me to someone else. And I think it's good to just remember that God has a perspective way beyond ours. That's super helpful. So cool. All right, here is another question. This is kind of another fun one uh, that came in via social. And um, it is, this is like, this is pretty wild. If I were you for a day, what advice would you give me? Ooh, (laughs) I like this this one. This could be frightening. If I were you for a day, what advice would you give?
2: My advice would be memorize a lot of scriptures about worry.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. To
2: not worry about the future and don't overthink things. Okay. <laughs> that is something I tell myself on a very regular basis.
0: Okay. Now, has anyone else ever told you that you overthink things? Oh, or yeah. do you tell – oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not overthinking that you might be overthinking. No.
2: Mm-hmm. I have a an accountability partner who's really funny, mm-hmm. and he's like complete opposite personality of me. And a lot of times he'll look at me and he'll be like, man, you're just being too serious right now. <laughs> and so it honestly is some of the best advice I've ever gotten, though.
0: That's good, yeah. Because what we worry about today we think is so just crazy. I mean, it's just like consuming. And yeah. then by tomorrow or next week we'll be like, why did I spend so much energy on that? That was pretty wacky. Okay. What about you, Hannah?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would say two things. One, put more spinach in your smoothie.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and two, I would say share with someone um what you read that morning. Yeah. Oh. Because I feel like so often – I get in the word, and then it's easy to forget about it the rest of the day. But if I'm intentional about being like, oh, this reminds me of this person. I want to encourage them in this way. Mm -hmm. Reminder to share that. That's very good.
0: Good one. I would say for me, um, the first thing would be do not take your sister Laura's call unless you have a full 30 minutes to talk to her (laughs) because that is just – you're just going to be super mad otherwise, and yeah, and you're going to start blaming her and stuff. And the other thing would be to just – like honestly shut your mouth and listen to people so the whole idea of like it's very easy for me to jump in and be like oh i know what you're gonna say or i know where you're going with that or just stupid but just to calm down and be like active listening of what people have to say i think would be just great advice because i feel like i'm still working on that i'm still learning that and it's uh it's a really hard discipline Mm -hmm. to have so another another good one to um to keep in mind so all right I'm gonna ask you guys a question I ask this this is like my classic get to know you question this is like if no one can answer this question I can't even be your friend because it's so easy but it's fun because you all know that I love to travel I'm a big travel fan and it's not like I can travel everywhere or anything but I think it's fun to to dream so it's a two-part question this is like my icebreaker for all social events If you guys could go, you could pick the U.S. or the world, whatever. What's just some place on your bucket list to travel, somewhere that you'd love to go? And then the converse of that, what is a place that everyone wants to go to and you have no interest in going?
3: Ooh,
2: That's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: kind of fun and a little two-party. Well, while you guys are thinking, I'll share mine because clearly I've asked this many times. Um, One place that I would love to go, you guys know if you listen to the show – I talk about this all... I feel like I've just gotten to know this about myself in the last 10-ish years. Um, I just love warm places. I don't know. I live too long in Minnesota. Just a lot of, like, issues, whatever... Um, a lot of things with cold and, and whatnot. I just love warm places. So I would love to get to the South Pacific at some point. I just think that sounds very idyllic. I mean, when you think of like, you know, huts on stilts over the water and all that kind of iconic South Pacific stuff, not the movie that is very scary. The old time 1950s or 60s musical, whatever. But anyway, um, that would be some place I would love to go. Where people want to go that I have no interest in going, honestly, I'm going to say, and there are actually a number of places I could go on and on. One is, um, I'm going to say, I actually know a few of our listeners that live here and I'm still going to say this and offend them. And you guys just have to write in or call in or whatever and defend it. So, um, Paris for me has no allure because what Mm -hmm. I've heard about Paris is, um, they generally look down their noses at Americans. Mm -hmm. Hello, that's me. Um, they don't eat a lot which I find very offensive and limiting and I'm just like my friends that have gone to Paris and like go to like um, you know the Louvre and stuff like that they stand amid like 200 other people to try to get a glimpse of the Mona Lisa and then they just get discouraged and stomp out and whatever so uh, y'all that are from Paris or have been there and love it okay give me your best case for Paris I'm just gonna say it all right how about you guys
1: Yeah, I would say my, the place that I would love to go to, um, anywhere in the Mediterranean. I know that's kind of, kind of vague, but any like Greece, Italy, Mm -hmm. one, I love their cuisine. Mm -hmm. I feel like if I moved there, that would, my diet would not change. I love Mediterranean food. And you should live
0: forever because that's like the best diet ever. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like very healthy. Oh, well. Olive oil and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yep, that's me. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just don't the wine. Don't have open containers or drink while driving. Yes. John now knows that. <laughs> yes. So. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I also love warm places. The beach. I feel like the coast would just be super fun. um Yeah, and then one place. It's hard to think of a place that I wouldn't want to go to because I think if the opportunity presented itself, I would be open. Mm-hmm. But one place which we talked about this recently one place that i would be hesitant to go to is probably australia Mm -hmm. like yes the tv shows and movies from there are pretty glamorous yeah but there are a lot of things there that are deadly a lot of animals and insects yeah and also the flight is super long like i feel like i would really have to stretch to be willing to go to australia
2: all right john how about you the one place I really want to go to would be Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Everybody nice. I have talked to who's been to Hawaii says it is fantastic. I think, didn't we have J.D. Greer on the show? And he said yeah. that there were four things in life that did not disappoint his expectations. It was meeting Jesus as Lord and Savior, getting married, his kids, and Hawaii. Okay. Wow. So, <laughs> that made the list. Yes. Wow. Hawaii was one of the things that made the list. That's so pretty amazing. So that would be on my list. Okay. Um, places, gosh, places that people are all about, that's tough because honestly, I love to travel and find new places. The places I wouldn't want to go would honestly be really dangerous countries.
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: So any place that is where the government is super, super oppressive. So I can't really think of a place that... Yeah, where people honestly want to go that I would say, nah, I don't want to go there. Well,
0: what about, like, Israel? Because I know a lot of people that want to go to the Holy Land, but they're like, it's so unsettled over there, and Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like to travel there as an American. Especially now with COVID. Like, I've heard that there are some restrictions. I don't know.
2: My parents went there in 2017, and they said it makes the Bible come to life. Wow. Because of how awesome it is.
0: So, see, you just have to take the risk. You have to go because it would be worth it. I think I would go. I'm kind of like, I feel like I have this attitude of, like, Their tourism is so important that Mm. why would they go after Americans and be, I don't know, maybe that's naive, but anyway.
1: (laughs) Go there. Yeah. My money is important.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That sounds so arrogant. Like, hello, of course you want me. I'm an American. Whatever. I'm going to come over and buy dead sea salts. Okay. No. (laughs) All right. Last question that I'm going to ask you guys, which I think would be a good one for people to know. What is something that you feel people don't know about Boundless that they should know? Like, what's something that the average person, if they just listen to the show or read articles or something, like, what would be something that would surprise people about Boundless or or what we do here or who we are?
1: Yeah, I would say there's a lot more strategy behind, I feel like, the content that we plan um, as far as the show goes. And even with articles and blogs, the newer ones, Um, there's a lot of strategy behind that. We try to think about what is going on in the world and what is going on in the world of young adults, um, and what they would find most helpful and relevant. Um, so I don't know if a boundless listener would think that we just haphazardly do things. (laughs) They probably wouldn't, but yeah, I think that was something that I was surprised about when I started was just the amount of strategy and thought, um, and care that goes into content creation.
0: Yeah, that's good cuz you think of, you know, readers who follow what we blog on and stuff. Uh, not too long ago, we had Suzanne do a post about war, yeah. and so we try to be timely in the types mm-hmm. of topics we we cover. um, Obviously, you know, John is always thinking ahead of like, what are the the things that we're dealing with? We did so much around the pandemic and around the election here in the U.S. and just other things that can make us a little bit angsty. And we try to put some truth behind them and and hopefully assuage some worry along those fronts. So yeah, John, what would you think?
2: Kind of to Hannah's point is the fact that the work is a tremendous amount of fun and mm-hmm. it honestly does kind of feel like family in some ways. And another thing would be is that it's as fun as it is, it's not as glamorous as it looks. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we do is honestly just sitting behind a computer, responding to things, trying to plan things out, just putting one foot in front of another and trying to be as faithful with that as we can be. Yeah. And and also too, I, I think another thing is that Boundless has a really unique way of being able to speak into my life as a Mm -hmm. single adult. And I have found it very helpful to apply a lot of the content that I hear. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we as people need to go to counseling. And sometimes we need to talk to a counselor here at Focus on the Family. And the content that we get to produce is very applicable to the lives that we live.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Good Definitely the
1: best thing about this job is one, being on such a great team and two, being able to interact with the content all the time because I'm doing my job, but I'm also learning about faith and adulthood and relationships and things like that.
0: Yeah. I think one thing that comes to mind for me, just because I have been around at Boundless for a while, is how one long Boundless has been around. Like Boundless existed long before I was here. Boundless started y'all in 1998. I mean that some of you weren't even born then, okay? So and that was, you know, I wasn't part of the team then. That was just a vision uh that the founders of Boundless had and that someone on our board decided to help bankroll and so Boundless was birthed out of that. So that's a really neat neat story. And then the other thing you're seeing evidence of if you're um as we tape this, if you're watching this live, but I'll just tell you For those of you listening after the fact, we're a lot smaller team than you would think. And not that we don't want to grow Mm -hmm. and that we won't grow. But right now, I mean, John and Hannah and I are kind of in rod in the booth. There are kind of the boundless people. Um, And then we have Suzanne. We have Joshua Rogers. We have Lauren Dunn. We have other people who contribute regularly and we love their stuff. But yeah, as far as those of us like going up and down in the elevator and just kind (laughs) of doing boundless here in Colorado Springs, um, that's who we are. So Anyway, it is kind of a uh, it's kind of fun but also a a privilege to be to be part of that and uh yeah, we'll see what's what's next, what's down the pike as boundless uh, continues. So there's a lot of fun stuff fun stuff coming up, we hope. So all right, well you guys, that is it. My goodness, we've worked through a lot of questions. So hopefully um we answered some questions that might be pertinent to you as well as to uh some fun ones as well and uh thank you John and Hannah for being answerers alongside me Absolutely
1: thank you
3: Lisa it's a Joy <laughs>
0: We are here for this week's culture segment, which is in effect a continuation of last week. So those of you who heard last week, you know that we had a conversation with David Mathis, pastor and author of the book *Humbled: Welcoming the Uncomfortable Work of God. And so we're actually back with him this week because as we often do, um, we created this as a Listen App event, which allows you in our audience to be part of the conversation in real time, and in fact, ask your question. And so this week is going to be the Q&A portion of our conversation. And so we've got David back with us, and he's going to be fielding your questions. So David, welcome back to The Boundless Show. Thank you, Lisa. Good to be here. Wonderful. Okay. Well, um, we've let everyone know as we've been taping this that if they want to ask their question, they just raise their hand on the app. And those of you who are listening to this after the fact, make sure that you join us for uh, future events because it allows you to be part of the conversation and avail yourself of our guests and in fact, ask them your questions. So it's just a great opportunity for you to really be part of the show. So that said, we have some folks who come in through social media because either they're like working, can't get away when we're actually doing this live. So they uh, do have questions and want to make sure that they get theirs answered as well. So I do want to kick off with one that came in through social from Kendra, David. And she says, how can you stay humble when while taking pride, or pride is that the right word, in your achievements or accepting compliments.
4: Hmm. <laughs> well, stay humble would imply that you are humble, which uh, I I think what I'd, I'd want to work on the concept of how how static or dynamic that is. Hmm. Um, I think somebody could evidence a humility over time, but in in terms of being humble. Um, I the, the nature of the frailty of our humanity and our indwelling sin, presuming new birth and being a Christian, it it's much more dynamic than just being humble. And then you know we use that word pride so loosely. So for instance, I mean it, this is kind of a running joke with my mother. So uh, when she sends a birthday card to me, uh, she has this knack for finding a card that has the word pride in it you know that we your parents are so proud of you you know you make us proud and so she'll strike through it and write uh, about how we love you or whatever but i think because somewhere along the way uh as in in college or whatever i was reading my bible i I realized oh this pride is not a good thing and uh and so i don't want you to be proud of me mom i want you just to love me (laughs) (laughs) which i think that was my own immature young adult overreaction just just uh, not realizing how broadly the language is used. However, there is something there. We're not just using this, this broad language of proud. So I, I think there is a way to very humbly say, in a way that's not technically prideful in a sinful way, to say to a son or to say to a friend, um, I'm so proud of you. You know, you, you did a good job and I'm proud of you. And I think it's maybe our modern English way of expressing delight or love or uh commending someone well done son however you know we, we should be careful about what, what is being communicated there are we taking that in such a way that it's putting ourselves forward in a posture before god that is not honoring to him because as we talked about in the episode uh, how the very nature of humility and pride is the creature before the creator so in in and we may on on horizontal terms we may talk pride this and that um but in particular the, the very nexus of what pride is or humility is is how we as humans as creatures posture ourselves before god and so that, that's the real thing to uh to keep in mind look at that humility says he is god and i am not there are moments in our lives where uh that's very explicit it's very clear And then we kind of go about our lives. We move on. You got to get up from off your knees. God's commanded to do far more things than just pray. And so we have to get up off our knees and live our lives. And in those moments, you know, uh, our soul drifts. We have indwelling sin. We don't always live in that posture of he is God and I am not. And so uh, as much as we can be called back to that, that's probably a good thing for us.
0: Yeah, good thoughts. Okay, we have a question from our digital audience. Uh, this was from uh, Peter. I think this is great. <laughs> this is kind of what I was getting at last week a little bit. He asks, how do you encourage humility in those around you in a healthy way without coming across as arrogant yourself or telling them what they need to be uh, humbled in?
4: Great question. I, I think in, uh, in in discussing this topic, I don't know if anybody's asked it quite that way. That's a really good way to ask it. Um, I. I think, first and foremost, that, that we would be this and let it radiate out through us. Uh, and then, but, but there are some very important things you could do here with, uh, with someone that you, is in your life, roommate, friend, <laughs> someone you bump into all the time that is aggravating you with their arrogance. Number one, you should ask yourself, it usually is pride in us that is irked by pride in others. <laughs> arrogance in us has a, a really good eye for arrogance in other people. So there is a question for you to ask about yourself. Like first, God help me, You know, log out of my eye before the speck out of theirs. How do you even work on my pride, my arrogance? What is it here that is so frustrating about this person? And then uh, the means of God's humbling are typically uh, through his word, uh, through the response that he invites and commands of us called prayer, And then in the context of the local church of of, of people who are committed to jesus christ together in the rough and tumble of life and aren't just floating in and out based on preferences but make commitments to each other promises to each other in a church covenant and church membership so uh one way to summarize that would be word prayer fellowship word prayer community so a a a way to to deal with this person pray for this person engage this person is how can you take up those means as you talk with them? How can you have a word from scripture on your tongue? How can you rehearse with them truths as you speak into their lives? How you, can you bring them into prayer? Can you invite them into prayer with you? Hey, can, can we pray together? Could we can we have a moment of prayer? Or ask them, you know, if, if this is a person who claims to be a Christian and is uh, having a, a kind of a, A lone ranger Christianity isn't tied, isn't bound to a a body of fellow believers? Could you encourage them into the body of Christ? So those would be three ways to pursue in particular uh, how God might use you, first and foremost, checking your own pride, might use you as an instrument of his grace in their life, namely through his word, through prayer, and through the local church.
0: Mm, Yeah, good one. So Anna is asking, what are some examples of humility in the workplace, uh, including if you're working remotely and maybe aren't rubbing up against <laughs> coworkers uh, from day to day, but humility in the workplace? Because it seems like exactly the opposite of humility is encouraged in the workplace. That's
4: interesting. I guess it depends on what your workplace is. Um, I do think humans in general like humility in others. We don't like pride in other people. <laughs> uh, we like it when other people are humble. Um, we just don't like to go through what it, we gotta go through to, for ourselves to be humble, right? You know, we're, we're very happy for us to be prideful and for others to be humble and not in our way. Uh, so I, I would say that cultivating humility, it, it's not as if that is off limits or that's not gonna be embraced. If, if it feels like your work culture is set against humility, then one, I'd really challenge that in terms of is that the case? Have you really tried it? Another would be whether you're really thinking of the right definition of humility, because if if in your mind, humility means necessarily quietness or sheepishness or weakness, uh, then that would not necessarily be the case. Humility is you understand yourself aright. If I could put a verse with it, but Romans 12, three, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but thinking with sober judgment. So it could start with, you know, humbly before God, informed by his word, you know, in a context of prayer, asking for God's help, evaluate yourself. We are, we are prone to think of ourselves as more gifted than we are, as more able than we are, as more essential to our company and better at our work than we are. And it would be good to assess that with sober judgment and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Uh, this is by C.S. Lewis, but, or it's attributed to C.S. Lewis, like a lot of things. Uh, it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So <laughs> fill your mind and your focus with God and then with your work, the, the work that you have for the day. Fill your attention with your work. Not with yourself. Don't think of yourself so much in your work, but do the work you're called to do. And most employers and good bosses want workers who do what they're called to do and do their work and don't think of themselves as more valuable and more uh, able than they actually are. So I think that would be the kind of humble posture. I, I don't mean uh, – humility is not a constant self-deprecation. So don't hear that. Hear an honest, sober assessment of your true abilities and how they can help the, the work of the company you're involved with.
0: Yeah, that's great. Okay, let's bring Hannah in here uh, so that she can ask her question. Hannah, go ahead.
1: Hi, David. Um, you've already shared some biblical examples of how to be humble and people and nations being humbled. Um, but what are some scriptures you would recommend studying if I wanted to learn more about
3: um, humility?
4: Yes, well, here's, here's how I undertook this study that the book's based on. It is not a full theology of humility by any means. It's making a very, I hope, modest claim of uh, the humble self-language in the Bible. So if you've got a good uh, concordance and can search, you can look for the language of he humbled himself, you humbled yourself. They humbled themselves. We humbled ourselves. That that kind of reflexive—that's that's the term—reflexive language. And uh, and look, there's not actually that many occurrences of it. I think you can probably find between, uh, depending on your translation, somewhere around thirty. And in particular, they are uh, the use of that humble self language is very thick in Second Chronicles. So if I could boil it down for you, I would say start with. Exodus 5 through 12, and the power encounter between the God of Israel, Yahweh, Moses' God, and Pharaoh. There's a first context where the humble self language is used in uh, Exodus chapter 9 and 10. So that would be a place to start. And then probably the place it plays out most consistently is in 2 Chronicles. This is a major theme in Second Chronicles. And many of us have heard the verse, Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We've we've heard that verse 14. It sounds great. Yeah. Pray for America and God will send a blessing. But we often overlook verse 13, which is programmatic for how the language is all throughout the book of second Chronicles. Verse 13 says, God says, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence like a virus among my people. Then he says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's what plays out in Second Chronicles. Again and again, God takes the first step. He shuts up the heavens. He commands the locust. He sends the pestilence. And then the question comes to one Israelite king after another, whether it's Rehoboam or Josiah or Hezekiah or in Babylon to Belshazzar, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter five. Then the question comes, now, will you humble yourself? And if I could play it out in one more place, I think it would be in the Gospels with Jesus. Three times, Jesus repeats that refrain of God will humble the proud. And God will exalt those who are humble. And he, he does it in three different contexts in his teaching. So I, I suspect it was a kind of refrain in the teaching of Christ and that those who had heard him preach and teach in various places, when he would start the first part of the refrain, they could have finished it with them because they had heard him say it before. I think it's a, one of his most common teachings. And so you can see that in, in uh, the teaching of Jesus as well.
0: Yeah, Great thoughts. Yeah, it's almost like that, you know, strengthening that muscle, uh, we need the tension in that. And so, you know, not, not many of us are going to run after hardship, um, but God is gracious to to give it to us. And we know the outcome will be good if we are, uh, again, looking to him. So, well, we did have a um, a question here, David, I'll ask this one then, since we had another one come in via social um, from Gabriel. And he said, are there any specific spiritual disciplines that we often forget that you would recommend to grow specifically in humility and being sensitive to the spirit in that regard?
4: Thanks, Gabriel. That's a great question. Uh, very clearly to mind for me on that question, the way you put it, it's fasting.
0: Hmm. So No, uh... no one wants to hear about that, David. So just move. <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> Go Especially
4: ahead. Especially in the 21st century. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, no one's here However, for that. However, to learn some about fasting uh gives some fresh desire in the heart of those who love jesus so let me, let me just describe fasting here for a minute in the terms why it would be exciting to talk about it even though none of us likes the, the painful feeling of missing a meal uh we so often fasting belongs with prayer so i would not think of fasting as its own discipline here off to the side fasting is kind of like a uh a rocket booster or an exclamation point, something that accents the desire of the heart that is being expressed in prayer. And fasting is for particular moments where we feel unusual desperation. So you can't fast all the time. If you fast all the time, you die, right? You have to have food to keep living. So God does mean for us to pray all the time. You know, pray without ceasing. And we can be constant in prayer, which doesn't mean that we never get up off our knees. But it means that we punctuate our everyday life with prayer. There's prayer is a normal aspect of the everyday Christian life at various junctures. Fasting is not normal, it, it's not a daily thing in the Christian life. Fasting is a it's a particular act of desperation when we want God's particular help with something that we want to pray about. So it could be you know, sometimes in the old testament, they would fast if they're about to go on a, a big important journey as nehemiah did when he was about to go back and rebuild the city and rebuild the walls and so they fasted to ask for god's help on this journey and all the dangers they would encounter so there's fasting that's kind of a forward looking fast there's also the fasting of in the exposure of sin it's a way of of saying to god i'm desperate before you i repent of this sin that's been in my life that's been exposed and so fasting goes with you know the the proverbial sackcloth and ashes on recognizing something's been wrong, something's got to change, something new has been exposed, and you see yourself in a fresh way to be in the wrong, and fasting then is uh, a way to to do that, and, uh, and and come before God to ask for that help. And then another would would be with fasting in that be with the confession of our sin, and uh, it, it could be any time. When we feel a particular desperation before the Lord, this is a self-humbling way to put ourselves before God and say, oh God, this much, I need you this much, that I'm willing to go without food here. I'm not earning your help. I'm expressing the depth of my need as uh, I come before you with this fast. Oh God, would you help?
0: Hmm. All right. So we only have a couple minutes left, but I want to get Alex's question in. Alex, are you there? My
4: question is uh, a bit of an open-ended one. Um, I have a hard time finding a balance between being humbled before the holiness of God and then obeying his call to be bold to approach him because I don't want to like ruffle Jesus's hair like because I'm not on that level. I don't want to like treat him like he's less holy than he is, but I also need to find some boldness to approach his throne in the face of his holiness and i know that's found in the person of jesus but sometimes practically i just have a hard time squaring being humble before him and also being bold so if you have any thoughts on that i would super appreciate the advice thank you alex thanks for the question that's a great question um i I see how those things feel intention on the surface, you know, a, a kind of boldness before God, and then a, a posture that's humble before Him. I don't think they are at odds. I think they come together, and uh, and probably the place of, where they're going to come together is in a, a, re- a real consciousness of Jesus. So the text that comes to mind. This may have even been in your mind, asking the question um, in Hebrews four, verse fourteen: "Since we have a great High Priest." Remember, Jesus is the, uh, as we talked about in the previous episode, Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived and the one who humbled himself before God. So he's the one who's our high priest. We have him as our high priest. He has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 16, let us in with confidence drawn near to the throne of grace that that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I think Hebrews four sixteen captures together there what we feel to be intention, namely, we want to come with confidence and that confidence is not based on us. It's not a confidence in our words, our prayers, our approach. It's not a self-based confidence. It is a confidence in Jesus. And so at the same time, because our confidence is in him, we can also come and bring our need. That's the humility part. So uh, that boldness is not a self-supported, self-informed boldness. It is a, a Christ-informed, Christ-supported boldness. And so in that very moment, we can have humility related to ourselves. He is Christ. I am not. He is God, and I am not. I have my need. I need mercy. I need to find grace. I'm in a time of need, and yet I come boldly, not in my earning, not in my strength, I come boldly in his worthiness. Um, earlier today, I was talking with some friends at Desiring God about those great declarations in the book of Revelation about the worthiness of the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And so I think in those moments, that, that is a quintessential humble and bold declaration to say worthy is the lamb who was slain. It is bold based on his worth. He is worthy. I'm not worthy. He's worthy. And in declaring it, I'm also coming before him humbly and declaring his worth.
0: Hmm. That's good thoughts. Good thoughts on that. Um, Let's go ahead and uh, we have a question from Bailey. I want to get to this one too. Uh, Bailey, are you there with your question?
1: Um, I just wanted to ask, how can a lack of humility affect our relationships? Like not just friendship relationships, but like boyfriend, girlfriend, marital relationships, because I feel like that could really cause problems.
4: Absolutely. Uh, Definitely could. Um, It would be hard to restrict the implications of not being in right relationship with God for a relationship so close um so i i can talk some about how that may affect those relationships and it wouldn't even it wouldn't be comprehensive uh so i I mean humility cuts right to the core of how we relate to god himself and uh and in the relationships of our lives especially those that are our most close not out in the world people we brush shoulders with or even work with but in our own family and in a dating relationship where the terms of the relationship moving toward marriage are that this would be the closest human relationship that one would one would have in this life that is all the more significant to be together in the most important things uh in the universe namely god himself uh, so there's nothing more important than god in jesus christ and in the relationship that would be most close and most important among humans we want to have that right you know, that, that's why christians would say uh how important it is to date someone in the faith and marry in the faith uh, because marriage is that significant of a relationship and because faith is at the gets at the very heart of the reality of the universe and world with god at the very center so because of the value and importance of god uh, we want to bring those two things together so to the degree that uh, there is the opposite of a right approach to god namely pride then uh, I think it's gonna have major effects in a relationship that can't even be traced all the way out. And uh, we as humans, in our own pride, find pride offensive in other people. We all have very good radar for others' pride. And uh, that's a very secondary thing, but that's not gonna draw a couple closer together either. So this is all the more reason to put uh, God's word and prayer and the church uh, as central and important parts of a dating relationship.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, awesome stuff. We are out of time. Uh, We have been talking to Pastor... Uh, David Mathis. He is pastor at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. He's also the executive editor at DesiringGod.org and the author of Humbled: Welcoming the Uncomfortable Work of God uh, that we've been talking about last week and this week. And uh, again, as I said last week, we want to make sure that Uh, you know that we're making this book available for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So again, you just go to boundless.org. You can search for 739. That is this week's episode. You'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. It'll take you to our donation page for any amount that you can afford to give to Boundless, which we know you love Boundless anyway and want to help support what we're doing here for young adults. Uh, Just do that and we will send a copy of David's book as our thank you to you. So uh, make sure you get on that. In fact, Maybe not the book that you want to get and just give to someone else and be like, hey, I thought of this book for you. But maybe a few of you and your friends can get together and discuss this concept. I think it's something just uh, really wonderful for all of us to dig a little bit deeper into. So, David, thanks so much for being part of this conversation.
2: Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, we're opening up our inbox for our last segment here and answering one of your questions. And one of our counselors, Wendy Brown, is here. Hey, Wendy. Hey, Lisa. Awesome to have you. All right. This is a great, uh, great relational question. Our listener asks, I recently dated a guy who professed faith in God, but saw it more as a lifestyle, not a relationship with Christ. Now he wants to be friends. I do care for him and want to reflect God's love to him, but is pursuing a friendship a wise choice? What would that look
5: like? That's an interesting question. There's a lot here um, as a counselor. the first thing that I would be thinking um, are what are the motivations for wanting of the friendship? Mm-hmm. Um, what goes into that? You know it sounds like there's a spiritual mismatch kind of here mm-hmm. where you know he's he's really not wanting to follow God in the same way that she does, and um, th- that could be problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with friendships if they've been dating and they stopped and now they want to be friends, the friendship is most likely to be sort of that level three friendship where Mm -hmm. there's a good emotional connection. And most of the time I've seen that just slide down this slippery hill back Mm -hmm. into a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be very difficult to maintain a friendship without getting back into the relationship. So some of the, the outer outside motivation say Uh, is there pressure from him is there pressure from her friends is there pressure from within herself of I need to be in a relationship and the friendship kind of feels better than a total break I you know um, back to the the spiritual part evangelistic kinds of dating Um, God is the one with the power to change not us and so when we're in a friendship just to try to make him better that's a red flag for me as a counselor mm-hmm. um and so you know my advice would be be very 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 careful about entering back into the friendship um there need to be good healthy relationships if she does uh, healthy boundaries actually if she does go back into that relationship i had a friend once who was in a similar situation and they broke up and decided we could be friends. And so they, you know, they talked at church occasionally, and then it went to, oh, let's get a cup of coffee, and then let's go to dinner. And before long, they were dating again, and she just didn't have peace in her heart that this was the person that she was supposed to be with. Yeah. And that went two or three times around where they would break up, friends. And so I would just save myself the pain, um and really kind of move on from the relationship Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah
0: no that's good and that's a good point because again it's you know I, I understand her desire to as she says here reflect God's love to him which could be great if she is a catalyst to introduce him to Christian community and possibly some men who can be his friends like that's where I see it you know being beneficial of like yeah you don't say like no, we're not dating, and quite frankly, we're not on the same page faith-wise, so I don't want anything to do with you. I mean, (laughs) that's not a very kind Christian response, but to say – yeah, but here's what it'll look like. It's groups of us friends that hang out, or you can join us for a church activity that blah, 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 or maybe here are some great guy friends that you might want to get to know as well. I think that's great for her to be a connector in that in that sense. But, you know, as as you on our counseling team, uh, your team always says, you know, you're, she is not responsible for becoming his counselor or becoming his confidant or any of that. I think that could be dangerous. So I appreciate what you said about that, of just watching, you know, that it doesn't slide back into something that could be unhealthy
5: so right anytime we're moving into a place of wanting to rescue someone we're get, often getting in the way of god yeah so i love what you said about connecting with the church or yeah. social groups absolutely well good mm-hmm. thoughts Well, folks, uh,
0: that is it for this week's show. Always, I like to remind you once in a while, uh, if you are enjoying The Boundless Show, hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. So many people find the show through Apple Podcasts and through the reviews. That's a a person's way of figuring out, should I give the show a chance? What are other people saying? And so your experience with the show and leaving a positive review would really help. So we appreciate it in advance. All right, folks, that's it for this week's show. I will see you around next week for the boundless show
3: the boundless show is a production of boundless.org focus on the family